Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. Just recap from last week, Abraham died. Um, Isaac's servant got a bride for him from Abraham's people. And so um, we're going to start with Genesis 25. We're going we're to cut in at Jacob and Esau um, in verse 19. Says, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the older, uh, than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skilled hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So here again we see, I don't don't know if you guys noticed this little trend, we see the barrenness through the line of Abraham. We know the story of Abraham, how he waited and waited to have a child uh, with his wife Sarah, and and they, they did a few things to try to make that happen. Um, and here again, we see with Isaac, this barrenness through the line of Abraham. And, and you might wonder, like, if Abraham is supposed to become a great nation, if God wants him to become a great nation and, and lead all these people, wouldn't it be really nice of God to just make it easy and make them extremely fertile? Right? Wouldn't it be nice if God made things easy? Why is God making it so difficult? Doesn't it, not, not the, doesn't it feel sometimes like, God, if you want me to do this, you're kind of making it difficult. Right? Almost like when God asks us to do something, we really just want it to be, well, well, God said I should do this, and so it should be like super easy. It should just like, you should just line the path with gold, and I should have no issues whatsoever. Right? But we find that's, that's not the problem. Sometimes when God tells us to do something, you're like, God, if you want me to do this, why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult? Why does it seem like everything is coming against me? And it seems like Abraham and Isaac might be like, God, if you want us to be father of a nation, it'd be nice if, if we didn't have these issues with barrenness. But when you're lacking something, when you're lacking something important, where do you go? You go to God. Sometimes God makes it so it's not easy because we need God all the more. And if they're going to be the father of this people who are are God's chosen people, then they need to rely on God. They need to learn to rely on God. They need to learn that that's where the power comes from. Yes, you'll be a great nation, but it's not because you're fertile. It's because God has said it. It's because God has chosen it. And that's the only reason, because God has said it so. And so sometimes in the lacking, it drives us to God. And that's where we learn God, God is the one who's going to do this. God's the only one who can do this because we don't have the, the natural ability. And so Isaac, he's learned And this is also a good thing because he's seen this before in his father Abraham. And so what does he do? He says, I know the answer. My father had this problem and I know what he did. You know what he did? He went to God. And so Isaac goes to God and he prays that Rebekah might conceive and she does. 
And so they learn. What, what do you learn when God answers prayer? You learn that God answers prayer. And then you learn, next time I'm going to pray. In, in any given situation, big or small, when God answers pray, prayer, we learn, hey, I'm going to ask God. And so they learn that it's by God's hand alone. So then when Rebecca senses the struggle within her, it says she has this struggle within her. She, where does she go? She goes to God. Now, this obviously isn't a normal struggle. It's easy for us to think like, okay, like a bump here and there. This is the first time she's had a baby. You know, and the first time you've had a baby is very different from, from the third or fourth time you have a baby, right? Uh, you know, third or fourth time you have a baby, fifth time you have a baby, you're just like, yeah, we're going to go have this baby, no big deal. You know, first time, you're very nervous. I know Daisy, first time we had a baby, it was like supposed to come before Christmas, but it came after, and so it ruined Christmas because she's just like, it could be today, it could be today, you know, like, and I was just like, babe, it's no big deal. God's got it. God's got it. I didn't say that, really. You're just like holding the hand. You're like, ah, it's going to be fine. You're so brave. You can do it. And she is, and she did. Um, <laughs> end of story. Um, so, but in this day and age, it's not like, it's not like she's like, oh, what's that? It's a bump. Like, I, I don't know what's happening. And she was scared for no reason. You got to remember, like, in this day and age, she would have seen many births, Right? Everyone, everyone in her camp, she would, have, she would have been involved. They don't like go to the hospital and come back and be like, here's a baby, right? It's like they were involved. She probably ran out during birth and got water and got claws. And like, you know, so she was, she was involved. And, and she's seen this before. So it's not like it's just some regular bumps. I think she was aware enough to say, this is, I don't know, I haven't seen this before. In and all, in all of my years, I've never seen this much turmoil. What's going on with me? What, what's happening here? And she knows it's incredibly abnormal. And so she's worried. And so what does she do? She goes to God too. We have to remember, and like sometimes we just read these things and we're like, yeah, she went to God. I mean, it's in the Bible. Of course she went to God. But we have to remember Rebecca came from pagan gods. She came from Abraham's people, but they weren't followers of God. And we'll see later that she, she still has an issue with this a little bit. But she came from worshiping pagan gods. So she's not, Isaac has seen it. Isaac has seen it his whole life. He's seen like, we rely on God. God has done this. Rebecca doesn't necessarily have that experience with God to know that he can do these things. But when she sees Isaac pray for her and she has a baby and say, okay, this God can answer some prayers. So then she knows to go to God. She knows, hey, this, this God, Yahweh, is powerful and answers prayers. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to this God. And I think it's important for us to realize because sometimes we like to pray and not say anything. We like, we like to pray and be like, I've been, I'm praying for you quietly. I'm praying, you know, oh, silent prayers in my closet, my prayer closet. But sometimes people like, we're, you know, it's so funny. People are always like, hey, pray for me. I'm going through something right now. And you're like, yeah, and I'm going to pray for you tonight when I pray, pray tonight in my room quietly, you know? And like, but it's like, sometimes people need to, need to be prayed for so they can hear that you're asking God so that then when God answers that prayer, they can say, hey, that prayer was answered. I've, I heard the prayer being asked, and now I know that God answers prayers. I mean, it, has, it doesn't have the same effect if you come up later and you're like, that happened, that's cool. I prayed that. I'm like, eh. okay, that's not believable, right? That's what people think. So we need to, we need to be bold and, and just pray for people. He's like, I'm, I'm going to pray some. I'm going to pray for you. And because Isaac does this with his wife, she starts to be like, okay, this Yahweh. So she goes to him and, and she prays and prays like, what is going on? What is going on in my womb? And he tells her that there are two nations in her, womb, in her womb. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And so she gives birth to Esau first, 
and Jacob second. Um, and Esau being born first means, and this would, I know this seems like, he gets the birthright. He has the birthright. It's not decided later. It isn't, it's decided from the moment of birth. That's how it worked. If you were born first, you were the clan chief and the clan priest. You led. Your decisions decided what everybody did. Decisions about who you, who you were going to serve and how faithfully you were going to serve. It went for all of your people. So the moment he's born, and we don't know anything about this child yet. I mean, that's kind of like scary, right? Um, if you, Some of you might think of your firstborn and be like, oh, I wouldn't want them to be the leader of my clan. You know, I was the second born, right? If, we, if Jenny, my older sister, led, we'd be in turmoil. <laughs> turmoil. Um, uh, just kidding, just kidding. She'd be great. But, but this is how it was done. The first physical firstborn is going to be the leader of the clan um, in, both, in both terms of following God and, and deciding what happens with the clan. So, but even though this is the way it is and he's the physical firstborn, in God's eyes, Jacob is a spiritual firstborn. He's the one who will lead because God's chosen him. Something different is happening. We have to remember this. Something different is happening in the physical than in the spiritual. What they're seeing in the physical is not exactly what is true in the spiritual. What man decides is so is not necessarily what God decides is so. And if we look at this, something is happening for the first time here. God calls Abraham, right? He calls him apart from his people, tells him he's going to make a nation out of him and that they'll be God's people. And then Abraham, his firstborn son is actually Ishmael. Ishmael is his firstborn son, but it was through a concubine. It wasn't through his wife, Sarah. And God said that the line would go through Abraham and Sarah. So we could say that in Ishmael's case, in Ishmael's case, it was passed down physically, the leadership, the blessing that God had put on Abraham's line. We could say, well, it passed over Ishmael because he didn't have, he wasn't the physical firstborn. It, 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 he wasn't of the physical line of Abraham and Sarah. He's an offshoot. Uh, and he had the line of Abraham, but not Sarah. And so, and this would be important. This would be important to the Hebrews because um, the physical distinctions are very important. They kept meticulous records of bloodlines and where you came from and your family. And and it's sad because sometimes when like the the um, city was destroyed, they people would lose these records, and then they could be cast out of of of, of the people, and they, or they wouldn't be able to get the inheritance of the people because they didn't have. These, these records of their bloodlines, because it was important, because you didn't mix bloodlines, right? You had to be pure. In fact, the Sumerians become so hated because they're left behind when a lot of the Israelites are taken captive and they start mixing with the peoples around them. And that's why the Jews were like, you're not a part of our people anymore because you disobeyed God and, and you mixed with the locals. And so it's very important, this bloodline. So for the Jews, they're like, yeah, of course Ishmael's not the, the firstborn, because he, you can say he's not the physical firstborn of Abraham and Sarah. But here we see for the first time that this firstborn of the promise, the heir, the firstborn who receives the blessing, is not decided by what's happening in the physical. It's happening solely in the spiritual, right? Because Esau and Jacob are both full-blooded sons of Isaac. This is the first time. 
So, so you could say, okay, they both have the physical traits. They both have these physical traits, but we see that God's, God's election right here, we see for the first time that God's election of his people goes beyond the physical. It's not just the physical. Because Esau is a full-blooded descendant. He's a firstborn. But God chooses Jacob to be the, the, the spiritual firstborn. So here, this is the first time we see this title, being a Hebrew, being a Jew, or, or later becoming an Israelite, being, being of the people of God, is not just about a physical trait. It's not just a physical designation. It also is a spiritual designation because... When God chooses Jacob, Esau's people are no longer, well, the people he has and his descendants, they're not Israelites. They're the Edomites. They're a totally different people, right? And he had the physical traits, but God was looking for spiritual traits. So here we see for the first time something happening where people, God is dividing and separating. You're not just born into this. He's picking a people and cutting off others and making people of God. So, so the people of God are physical descendants of Abraham, but also as God further divides and subdivides and sets apart a people called by his name, they're spiritual descendants of Abraham. Okay, so just, just to sum this up, at this point, to be God's people, we see for the first time, to be a Hebrew, Abraham's line will go down not just a physical line, but a spiritual line in who God chooses. There's, there's two qualifiers here physical and spiritual. You needed to be of the line of Abraham, but you also needed to be of the select line of Abraham. Okay? So now follow me here. And in the New Testament, you don't have to go here, but in Luke 3, 8, it says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Don't tell yourselves we're children of Abraham because God can raise children up out of these stones. Because in this time, many Jews were just like, we can, I mean, we can do whatever we want. We're, we're children of Abraham. We're people of God. Like we have the blessing. Like we just are. It just rests on us. We have the physical ancestry, but there's more to it than that. And here, and here they're saying, look, God can raise up others to be the children of Abraham. And he does. In the New Testament, if you'll turn with me to Galatians 3. Okay, I'm going to hop around a little bit. We'll start in 6. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And if we go down to 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus 
so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And this is kind of a summary, So back, and then up to 26. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But if, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here we see this transition, and most of us are aware of this. Here we see this transition to the spiritual sons of Abraham. We're grafted in. We're grafted in. And when we read this, Often we say, this is where God was doing something entirely new. This is where God was making it a spiritual thing for the first time. But, but we can see in the very beginning, if we look, what we just went over was God was already doing that. There was already a spiritual thing that he was doing. There was already a spiritual designation. It just shows how steady God is. He was already setting it up to where it was a physical trait. Then it was a physical and a spiritual trait. But the spiritual was more important. If you had the spiritual designation, it didn't, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, you could have the physical traits and be cast out. But if you had the spiritual traits, that's who God chose. And then we see in the New Testament, which we, we say, oh, God did an entirely new thing. But he did it. He just completed what he had begun. He completed what he be, had begun. God was always looking towards the same end of grafting people in to the promise of Abraham through the spiritual traits, through a spiritual designation. So, but let's look at this because he said something about being grafted in. And so let's look at that real quick in Romans 11. I'm going to read one straight through 21. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you, Gentiles. 
Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, through a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So I think this is important to see, this, this grafted in, because some Christians view this as like, okay, we've replaced the Jews as God's people. They say, oh, oh we've replaced them. They're not, I've heard this. I've heard people say this. Be like, be like, they're not God's people anymore. We are God's people. And you can see, it's so funny. You can, if you look and you know what you're looking for, you can see some arguments and some ideas that we see today present in the Bible just under a different name or presented a different way, but it's the same, it's the same root of belief. And here we see Paul is saying, we've been grafted into the people of God. And he says, some of them have been broken off. Just as we were grafted in because of our belief, some of them, even though they had the physical designation, were broken off because they didn't have that spiritual designation. They were cut off because of their unbelief. And it says, do not think yourself superior to those other branches because the root supports you. And this is so. The writers in this book, the majority of them that we're reading from are all Hebrew. They're all Israelites. They're all Jews who were raised in that way as their people. They had the physical and the spiritual designation, and they accepted Christ, and they wrote this book. They formed the foundation. That's, that's the root. And it's important um, because they, that they've accepted Christ, first of all, um, because Christians have grown to kind of, especially nowadays, you see this, um, that we despise the root a little bit. Well, we despise the root. We, we just like people around us. And, and some of this is being like, oh, we're the people of God. And, and it's so funny that like, I mean, remember when Passion of the Christ came out with Mel Gibson, um, people like thought it, it made this like um, anti-Jewish like sentiment. And, and it's like, if Jesus could have come in any form, <laughs> And any nationality, and everyone would have done the same exact thing, right? It's just, it's human, it's humankind, that's who we are. Um, but Christian, and I've talked to Christians who like hate the Jews, and they say, well, we're the people of God, and you're not the people of God anymore, and this isn't so. This isn't so. This is not what Paul is saying, okay? If it's the, spir the spiritual designation is there, then that's not the case. And, and we also use this to kind of get rid of the uh, Old Testament, Right, you can kind of see the devil's path because then we'd be like, "Well, that's not. We're the new people of God. The New Testament is for us. The New Covenant, which is what Testament means, is for us, not the Old Covenant." Right, so we don't even need to read the Old Testament at all. And there's a lot of really big churches that um that do that. I remember we went to this uh, one thing and they're like, "We're handing out Bibles for free," and then they gave us all in the New Testament. 
And I was like, mm-hmm, that's what I said. And I was like, maybe, I was like, maybe they're trying to save money. Maybe they're just trying to save money on printing, you know, because the Old Testament's bigger, you know, and maybe they're just trying to get people saved. And I was like trying to give grace that way, but I always like, I always like give grace, but then explain to the people I'm with, like, hey, hold on. This isn't, this isn't the whole Bible, okay? And then we like, and then when I threw it back at the pastor, and I said, heretic! And um, they took me out of there. That's weird. I didn't really do that. But, but it's important. Like, we, we say we don't need that. That's for the Jews. That's the, that's the old law. But it's the root. It's the foundation for us. Everything Jesus says, he constantly references the Old Testament. He, con- con- he always builds on the Old Testament. He always says, as it is written, as it is written, in this, as it is written. So it's funny that people could even think that we don't need the Old Testament when Jesus, most of the time, says, as it is written, and then quotes the Old Testament, okay? These roots, this Old Covenant, is a foundation that we're grafted into, okay? And, and so they, they, while they had the spiritual and the physical, now we see as we're grafted in, it's no longer just physical, because God wants people who are after his heart, period. And this is why he chose Jacob. He wants people who are after his heart, who want to know him more, who want to follow him. That is what he wants. And that's, that's it, for starters. He's like, I just want people who want me. I want people who love me, who will revere my name. God is looking at the spiritual he was all, he, that's, and that's all, he's, he's always looked at it. It's not just a new thing. He's always looked at it. He's always looked at the, at the spiritual. And then we see it in the election of Jacob over Esau. God looks at the heart. And that's a good thing. Because we have trouble looking at the heart. We have trouble looking at the heart and seeing through. And seeing, seeing who people really are. Seeing their worth seeing their value. And it's really God sees deep into the heart because a lot of times when we look at ourselves and we can look beyond just what we see and we know our hearts, we're still like, ah. And we're like, God can see the heart. Ha. Huh. But God sees, God sees deep into the heart. He sees who desires him. Um, and, and we can see that Isaac had trouble even doing this with his kids. And, and that's, that's, when, that's when it gets really personal and really hard-hitting when you see people have trouble doing this with their kids, seeing through to the heart. It tells us that Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. He was like a man's man. Like just for an example of like what that would be like, a man's man, just picture me. <laughs> what was that face? That was like, <laughs> Denny went, I was like, hold back a little, Denny. Um, <laughs> I'm going to look through to the heart. I'm going to look through to the heart. <laughs> yeah, but, but he was like a man's man. He makes a dad proud, right? Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. I mean, he's like, he was like an indoor, indoorsy kind of guy, you know? I, ha- I have affinity for Jacob. Um, <laughs> my kids are like, let's play outside. I'm like, do you realize how much sweat I'm going to get all over me in the first five minutes? Oh, that's mom. <laughs> she's already working outside she can just play i'm just kidding like that people are gonna be like i don't know about this guy he's he's the worst but he saw as a man's man he makes his father proud 
He's like, he's, it does everything his father would want. He's who every man should be. And it, and it doesn't say this, but I mean, it, it tells us that Esau, lo- it doesn't say per se that Isaac loved Esau more. But the fact that it says Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob, it kind of tells us. Kind of tells us that, that he was like proud. I mean, I bet Isaac just watched Jacob growing up and was just like, what's wrong with this kid? Why can't you kill? Why can't you bring me back some meat? You know I love wild game, right? All you do is sit in that tent. And, and just like, you see this sometimes with, with fathers and their sons being like, I don't know what's wrong with this kid, right? And it's just like, and so I identify a little bit with Jacob. Not that my dad was like that. My dad was like totally, totally like he was a good dad. He was always like, he's not dead. He is a good dad. <laughs> He was always like, he was always supportive of anything I wanted to do. Um, and and, and he, he was uh, awesome. But like Esau, it looks like he just had his father's favor. He had his father's acceptance. And Jacob didn't. And he had his mother's acceptance. But it's not really the same thing. It's not really the same thing. You need both. You need both. But God saw through to the heart. Isaac looks at Esau at his physical traits, and he's like, he's a natural-born leader. He can take care of the clan. He can bring them what they need. This is what, and you know, everyone else saw that, be like, man, Esau, Esau, right? He's like Gaston of the Israelites, <laughs> right? He can do it. He can do it. And, and, and that's what he sees, that he's the leader, but God saw something different. Our, our, our God saw something different. He saw something in this quiet man, in this Jacob. And he saw it, his mother saw it, but she saw it maybe because God told her in advance. But God saw him, this quiet man dwelling in tents. I bet he was overlooked by the entire clan. I bet he was probably scoffed at a little bit that he couldn't be like his, his older brother. That's how it works probably wasn't going to amount to anything in their eyes. But isn't it a good thing that God looks at the heart, that God sees what no one else sees, and he always does. He always does. Throughout the Bible, God chooses those who are overlooked. God chooses those who are not thought much of. He chooses the spotted lambs. What no one else sees, God sees And what no one else values, we see continuously, that's what, those are the people that God values the most. Those are the people he wants. Even King David, King David, the greatest king of all of history, was overlooked by man. He was overlooked by his father. When Samuel came to crown the next king in 1 Samuel 16, 6, he was sent to find Jesse, to, to, to anoint one of his sons as the next king. And it says, when they arrived, Samuel, he said, bring out all your sons. Bring out all your sons before me. And Samuel and uh, Jesse brings out all his sons. And it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, the oldest son, he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Even, even Samuel, a priest who knows God's heart, who knows what he's going to do, Jesse presents his first oldest son, and his first thought is, surely 
the Lord's anointed stands before me. Look at him. Look at the muscles. Right? He just like, he's tall. He's handsome. He's got muscles. He's obviously a good leader of men. Right? Obviously. He's like, surely this is who God has chosen. But the Lord said to Samuel, and this is, man, this, this, this makes my heart feel good that Samuel like has spent time with the Lord. He's a man of God. He has seen things. He, he knows God's voice. And even he thinks he knows what's up. And God has to be like, no, Samuel, my child, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. And like Samuel's like, by people, do you mean me? Because I'm the only one here. You're saying people like it's multiple people. It's always a nice way to like chew people out. You're like, if everyone could, and really you're like, you. He's like, I've rejected him. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. Wouldn't that be like the weirdest thing when you feel so like, if they're like, pass in front of this guy. You're like. What's over there? You know? Just like, I mean, kingship is on the line here, right? You got to like, you got to like, you got to do it. Just like Cinderella's sister. You got to fit your foot in that shoe. You got to make it happen. But he passes before Samuel. And Sam, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. He had to feel good being the seventh one. You're like, uh-huh, yeah, that's right. I didn't think you were going to get to number seven, but here I am, and I'm the only left, right? And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? And he says, well, they're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit until he arrives. So Samuel says, I want to see all of your sons, because God has sent me to see your sons, to designate one. And the father said, you don't even need to be there. You don't even need to be there, dude. We'll call you if we need you. Okay? Can you imagine what that felt like? It wasn't like he was, he was like seventh in line and it was like, well, if no one else, nothing else happens, it'll be you. The father is so sure that it's not David. He, he knows it's not David. He's so sure of it, he doesn't even let the priest see him. Doesn't even let the priest see him because the priest doesn't need to see him because he's not important and it's not going to be him. His dad put that designation on him. It's not going to be you. You don't even need to come. The father even was not obedient to the priest in bringing his son because he was so convinced that it wasn't David. So convinced. And not even invited. We could definitely not say David was the favorite son. We would know David was not the favorite son. There was no way it was him. And even the way he like brings out his son, look at, look at this guy. I know it's this guy. I know it's Eliab. Look at him. Look at him. And what Samuel, Samuel sees and says, yeah, it's that guy. And what Samuel knows in an instant when God said, no, it's not him, the father doesn't know, and he's had a lifetime spent with these children. And he's like, look at this guy. Oh, it's not this guy? All right, well, look at this guy. Look at this guy. David? Yeah, I guess we'll go get him. 
we'll get David. But like, I'm just telling you, you might want to look at one of these guys again. Okay, because it's probably not David. God is not looking at the physical. Do not consider his appearance or his height. Does, God does not look at the things people look like. People look at. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And isn't it a good thing? Isn't it a good thing God looks at the heart? I think God uses people who are overlooked by man. God raises people up who have been pushed down by man. But sometimes, even as Christians, when we feel overlooked, it can be overlooked in our families. It can be overlooked in our church. Be overlooked in our friends group. Man, you can walk into a friends group and you can see, you can like look at the friend group and you can tell this is the overlooked one. Every time. This is the overlooked one. There's always one in. Why is that? Why is that? Why does it need to be? Why is it so? Why are there so many people who are overlooked who aren't seen? I mean, maybe you feel overlooked. Maybe, maybe your whole life, maybe, maybe you're an adult now and you've gotten over it, but, but growing up, you felt overlooked. You felt unseen. Like no one could really, man, have you ever felt like, man, if people could really take the time to get to know me, they would see that I'm really nice. They could see that I'm a great friend. They could see my worth if someone would just take the time, but no one will see me. No one will even, like, something about me, like, just doesn't even draw their attention. No one will even look at me to know me, to know my value. Do you ever feel like things can go on around you without people even noticing? Have you ever felt like you, you, were, you were at a party and you left and no one even noticed you left? Because you felt that important. And you kind of left that way. You kind of left that way. Just kind of like, I'm just going just gonna, to just gonna leave. I remember I went to a birthday party as a kid. And um, I, went, I gave this kid a present. And uh, he was kind of a turd. I'm just going to be honest. My dad never liked him. Um, and um, if your parents don't like your friend, that kid's trouble. Um, but it also benefits you because then if something happens, you can be like, well, that was Joey. Joey did that. You already don't like him. So, um, but I went and I gave him a, I gave him a present and he didn't like it and he made fun of it in front of everybody. And so I was at, I was at the party and, um, we all were playing outside and I just kind of like walked over to the fence cause I lived across the street and I just looked around and I climbed the fence and went home. And like, um, my mom was like, Oh, what are you doing home? You know, and kids, man, you think they're going to be honest and just tell you everything, but kids will be like, Oh, I just wouldn't have any fun. Wouldn't have any fun. And how many people even in the church, climb the fence and go home. I mean, it takes months. You're like, what happened to this person? I don't even know. I don't even know what happened to that person. Maybe they moved. But this happens with us. As people of God, we feel overlooked. We feel unseen. And people make, make us feel this way with their actions. But God has called you, each one of you. It says he's called you by name. He's called you by name. Each one of you. You could be the most overlooked person in the world, and God sees you. And God sees the things. All the things you want people to see. I wish they could see this. God sees it. God says, yeah, they will. That's what I value about you. That's what I love about you. I remember when we were first starting the church, um, I, had, I had so many issues, and not, not, with, not with you guys, 
but with people like not wanting to help or thinking I couldn't do it. Um, I, I didn't think we would get this building because I didn't have the business perspective. I didn't have the business background. I remember talking to people and a lot of people would be like, man, I love this guy's heart. If I was gonna have someone follow me at my church and like raise him up, it'd be this guy. I love who he is, but like as a businessman, it's not there. I had no business history. I had no business expertise. You have to like fill out these forms. They're like, how much money did you make last year in your business? And you're like, mm, zero. <laughs> how much do you project to make? Question mark. Um, <laughs> I didn't really do that because I'd look like an idiot, but. Um, but, and, and people are like, it takes longer than you think. It takes longer than you think. I couldn't convince people to give us this building. I couldn't, like, and I, and I felt like, I felt small. And I felt stupid. I felt like I was out of my league. Like, yeah, I'm a guy with passion, but I don't have any of the tools or the financial backing to do it. And whenever I would talk to people, like friends, other people in the ministry, like, man, I'm going to start a church. They would always be like, oh, that's awesome. You're starting a church, so you have a financial backer? And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, no. Um, some people, if I didn't know them well, I'll be honest, I was like, yeah, because <laughs> I felt like an idiot. Um, and, and, and they would be like, oh, so you're going to go to Vieira. The, the area that's building up in Brevard. Because if you look up church planning uh, structures and how that works, the area to go is Vieira because they're building and they have money. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna go to Central Merritt Island. You just have a lot of empty buildings. I figure I could get a church there. And like, and everyone just kind of looks at you a little like, huh, well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. And I was, I, honestly, I felt so small and so dumb and just like, oh, I hate even like bringing this up because, and it's funny that you would talk to Christians and be like starting a church and they would make you feel dumb about it, right? But like, it's a common thing, right? But I had, I had a friend um, tell me they'd been praying and God showed them something about me. <sighs> I could just get one, just do one sermon. Um, they said, okay, okay, God will show me something about you. It's not flattering at first. Just trust me. And it wasn't flattering at first. They and they told me in front of a group of people. And they were like, okay, God showed me that you're like a little ja a jockey. You're like, a, you know those little guys that ride the horses? That's, God says, that's like you. And I'm like, can we not continue this in front of people? I, 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 don't, I don't watch horse races, but I know they're very small. And I'm not, and she said, God just showed me you're, you're a little man. And not that, you're, not that you're a little man, but that's how people see you. And you're sitting there like, okay. Now you're hitting. And, and she said, but they don't see the horse that's under you. They're looking at the man. They don't see the horse that is under you. Because under you, what you ride on, that's where your power is. That's where your speed is. That, that's where it's coming from, is what you're riding in on. And they're looking at you, the little man, and they're not looking at the big, powerful horse that is under you. And God wants you to know, that's me. That, that's him. He is the horse under you. It doesn't matter what you look like to other people, because the power is not coming from you anyway. The strength's not coming from you anyway. God is the horse that gets you through the, through the race. And I'm here to tell you that too. You might feel like a little person unseen, 
And yes, you're a little jockey person. But they are not, no one's looking at the horse that you rode in on. And we're a little church, but no one's looking at the horse that we rode in on because it's by his power and by his might. It doesn't matter how people look at us because God sees us an entirely different way. And God says, what I see, everyone sees a small man. I see someone and I say, hop on, I'm going to take you places. Hop on, I'm going to take you places. I'm going to get you to that finish line and I'm going to get you to that finish line first. And when you get to see me, I'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have completed the race. And I'm here to tell you that same horse rides underneath you. That same horse carries you. That same horse. God is good and he has immeasurable might and immeasurable power. And it doesn't matter if people respect you. It doesn't matter if people look up to you. It doesn't matter if you have the expertise or the things that they're looking for or the things that, you, that they value. Because God values something entirely different. I mean, we're in this building, aren't we? We're in this building, and I don't know how, because I had none of the things that they needed. But I, well, I do know how, because I was like, that's the, horse, that's the horse I rode in on. Or I was like, ha-ha. I told you. I told you. And we just need to remember. We just remember who we are, who we are. We are, we are not what people see. Okay, God is with us. He goes before us and behind us. He is the power. He is the strength. With him, all things are possible. And God is doing something in the overlooked. God is doing something in the poor. God is doing something in those who are not seen, the outcasts. He will do something. And when he does, it's, it's all glory to him. He say, man, I never would have thought that person could have done that. And that's what makes me believe that this God might be real because there's no way, there's no way. It's like, yeah, there is no way apart from God. There's no way apart from God. Yes, I'm a little man apart from God. Yes, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that. It's a big task apart from God. I don't need to know how to do it. I need to know how to follow God and God will get me there. I need to learn, we need to learn how to just sit. How to just sit. I'm not steering, I'm just sitting and watching as we get places. And then when you get to that finish line, you're like, oh, God is good. You are good. You are a good God. I'm here today to tell you, God sees you. You're not working by your own strength and your own power and your own might. And let me just tell you something. Those years maybe where you've been unseen, those times where you felt you didn't have the power. Sometimes we're like, man, I wish I didn't go through that. But let me tell you something, God's doing something in that and through that. Because I felt that way, because I felt unseen before, I see people that are not, that are not seen. I see people who are alone and I can identify with them. I'm like, I know how they're feeling because I felt that same way. And my heart goes out to them and my heart is for them because God has opened those eyes that I can see what he sees and I can value what he values. And he opened my eyes through pain through being unseen. I often talk to people and they talk about their kids and they're like, man, I just like, they're sitting at the lunch table by themselves and I just, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I know this doesn't bring you any comfort right now because we live our children's pain. But I think, I think, and this, this is so contrary to how the world works. You see your child sitting by yourself and maybe other people think, man, that kid's got social issues. That kid's not gonna be a leader. That kid maybe doesn't have the qualities that, that, that they need. 
to succeed. And I say, what I see is I see God doing something. I see God doing something, setting someone apart for him and showing him a feeling so that one day when he gets on the horse, he's going to go out in power and might and be active that no one else has that same feeling. We need to remember not only is God under us, not only is God the one that carries us through and helps us to do things we cannot do, he sees us and he takes us to victory every time. The, the, horse, the horse that we are on is, is the leading horse. He will win every time. It doesn't matter how people see you. It's how God sees you. And our task is to go out and see as God sees and act on it and, and, and heal people as God has healed us and take that pain and allow God to heal us. And know, man, God, you show me that so that it can be used for your glory. But what, what turns it from pain is when we understand God. Because then we're like, man, I was hurting. And now we're like, oh, now I see what you're doing. There was a purpose behind it. I'm going to use it for your glory. And we take it and we do something with it. God is doing something in each one of us. And anything that happened in your life where you felt unseen or overlooked, it might have just been God doing something in your heart, preparing you for this day. And if you have children who are overlooked and unseen, take heart because God sees them and God is doing something in their heart for this day. God, God owns this day and God is doing something this day and I want to be a part of it. I want this whole church to be filled with outcasts. I want this whole church to be filled with spotted lambs. I want this whole church to be filled with people that no one else sees. And I want them to feel seen here. I want to empower them and say, and say, yeah, we're the church. And God, God has allowed this pain that we could go out and be a soothing balm, a soothing balm for others' pain. And God, in his power and in his might, is going to do something miraculous. He will do things through us that people cannot believe and have not seen. And they'll be even more surprised, not that it was God, but that it came through you. And that will give God even more glory. So trust him in your walk. Know that he is behind you. Know that he carries you. And all you have to do is sit and rest in him and let him do it. Lord, we just thank you that you are good. We thank you that you carry us. Lord, we just thank you that you've been with us every step of the way. Because even though the world doesn't see the horse that we're riding on for so many years. And so often we don't see the horse that we're riding on. We start to believe it's on our own power. We start to believe it's of our own making. We start to believe that, that sometimes we believe we can do it. And then when it gets insurmountable, we're like, maybe I can't do it. Lord, help us to be a church and a people that trust you. That say, man, look at this world. I don't know how, how we'll change it. Look at my family. I don't know how we'll change it. Look at my workplace. I don't know how, how I'm going to change it. I get so frustrated. It's so overwhelming. Help us in those moments to stop and look down. Help us to feel the strength and the power emanating from your spirit. Help us to remember that all we have to do is sit and rest and trust in your power and your might, Lord.
I just pray that as we're a church and a people who rests in your might and in your power, that we would see your might and your power and that others would see your might and your power in us and through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.